0: Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Michael Benner. Everybody, good morning from California. I really appreciate you joining us today for uh, what must be number 26 in this series called "The Wisdom of the Soul. Today, um, I'm gonna review after our opening meditation where all of this stuff comes from. When we talk about spiritual but not religious, what does that mean? I mean, what are the roots of spiritual but not religious? What existed before there were religions? And that timeline varies The religions, the Abrahamic religions of the Middle East sort of begin with, uh, well, arguably Egypt, but most people would say with Moses in the Hebrew Bible, which then became Christianity, and out of that evolved Islam, those three religions. The roots of uh, Asian religion we'll talk about today, but there are... uh, oral traditions that predate even written language that we're going to talk about, and then these other mystical traditions. What is mysticism? Uh, We're going to talk about that, and I'll bring in, I'll just touch lightly. Um, I'm not going to go into depth on anything today, but just touch lightly on all these different schools of philosophy and thought so that you can do your own research. And this might be a class where, if you haven't been taking any notes, this might be a good one just to jot down a few things, like these different schools of thought, so that you could do your own Google research later. And uh, very quickly, get up to speed on the thread or the links that run through these various traditions, and the uh, wonder, really, that there is a consensus that arose in these very separate cultures, and they came to some of the same conclusions. And uh, I think it'll put religion in a different context for you as well, but mostly give you lots of choices in, in what you explore and how mysticism is different from From religion. And with that, let's do our opening meditation. Get comfortable in your chair, your sofa, your bed, (laughs) wherever you happen to be, and sit upright. And uh, if you'd like to sit back and let the back of the chair or furniture support you, that's fine. Count yourself one to three, three being eyes open, wide awake, back in the room. On up and as you open your eyes wide awake take a nice big slow deep breath <sighs> cleansing breath and as you exhale uh, stretch a little bit get back into your body feel grounded again. sometimes we drift off into the clouds <laughs> so... When you wake up, there's that stretch you do in the morning. Let me thank you again for being here and uh, tell you how much I enjoy uh, doing this class and hearing from you. You can always email me at awmysteryschool at gmail.com. Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, the email address is simply school at gmail.com. I enjoy hearing from you and answering your questions. Not only do I read all the email I get, I answer it when appropriate. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what uh, is missing, what you'd like to hear more of. I want it to address the needs of of as many people as possible. So, again, as I said in the newsletter this week, um, I want to talk about the roots, the particular philosophies that we call esoteric. I'm sure most of us had at least one class in philosophy in high school or college and maybe more. And... uh, My God, they certainly can be boring classes, can't they? You might wonder, why would anybody want (laughs) to major in philosophy? What a dry, boring subject or topic. And of course, it's just the opposite. There's just so many bad teachers of philosophy. And I think it's because while a great deal of philosophy addresses spiritual concerns, in other words, the energy that illumines and animates us, they tend to avoid the really good stuff, the really juicy stuff, because they don't want to step on anybody's toes. They don't want to offend anybody who has a strong religious background. And we can see recently the concern of many people to, what shall I say, the, the, the unfolding of a new awareness in our society and the way it's expressed in uh, gender education, uh, sex education, which people easily confuse and are very different topics, uh, human rights, civil rights, um, so-called critical race theory, which is a grad school thing. It's, it's not happening in our grade schools or high schools. There is no critical race theory, but increasingly we're being told, our children are being told the truth of America's history, which is complex, wonderful and horrible, all mixed together. And, uh, Chris, that makes some people uncomfortable, but, uh, being quote made uncomfortable can be a good thing. That's called growth, isn't it? So, philosophy is anything but boring, and a lot of it is about oh, ethics. Uh, I mean, what? I mean, if we look at uh, Euclid. It's even about uh, geometry. And there, there is sacred geometry, and it's just a huge, huge field about who we are and why we're here and what we're for and these types of questions. That's what philosophy is. Technically, the word philosophy means a search for truth. And that's what we're looking for. That's how I got to it was in college, I wanted to know the truth because I felt I was being lied to. Um, I had a lot of FOMO. You know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. I knew something was going on behind the scenes that I wasn't being clued into. So I thought, aha, I'll be a journalist and figure that stuff out. And then I'll blab. I'll, I'll (laughs) I'll get on the radio and I'll tell the truth. I'll be uh, Michael Benner, the hippy dippy news guy. Al Sleet was the hippy dippy weatherman, right? I'll be the hippy dippy news guy that says, hey, here's what's going on. But uh, a few years of that, and I realized, my God, we're not getting to any truth here. I'm just rewriting news releases. And talking about government and politics as if our whole lives could be understood through the lens of binary politics. And uh, that seemed ridiculous. So I began to study psychology. Uh, Why people do what they do leads pretty quickly to why they feel the way they feel. We're motivated by emotion, emotion, energy in motion. Uh, The mind is what we think, the emotions are why we think it, and then what motive, motivate to move those thoughts and feelings into a particular action. So the emotion sits right in the center between the thought and its expression through behavior. And uh, did a talk show about that, many of you know, for years and years and years. And I would always use current events as a pretext. You know, this is new in the news. That's why it's called news. And so let's talk about this and that. And people would call and tell me what they thought, just like any other telephone talk show. But then I would say, well, why do you feel that way? Why Why do you think that's true? But then quickly segue into why do you feel that way? And if the person got a little irritated, I would often, as not, call them on that and say, "Well, you sound a little irritated. Is this frustrating you? Is this difficult for you? Well, when did you first believe this? Why do you believe it? Have you always believed this? Why do you believe this to be true?" And the more irritated, and frustrated, and even angry that they became. Uh, the more I would lean in, not in a mean or cruel way. The only people I ever really eviscerated on the radio were those who actively promoted violence, war, uh, fear, and hatred. Those people, uh, they got special treatment from me. It was a show, after all, and they called me. But, you know, that was the exception to the rule. Most of it was... uh, gosh you're, you you sound a little frustrated like does this make you angry and and why do you suppose you're you're angry and of course then comes the denial and they start yelling I'm not angry and screaming and insisting how not angry they were <laughs> and yet betrayed by their emotional angst on the radio and, and people loved it people would just move to the edge of their chairs, waiting for these emotionally naked people to, to dance for us. But my whole purpose was to reveal, again, these deeper motives and even identity. And then psychology had its limits, so eventually I stumbled into philosophy, and meditation took me there. The more I meditated, the more my wanderings, my mental wanderings, my heart took me deeper and deeper into philosophy, and particularly the esoteric, which means for the few. Exoteric is that which anybody can understand for the general public, but esoteric is for the most worthy. It's deeply symbolic, it's full of metaphor and allegory, and it gets exciting when the pieces start to fall together, like some sort of Tetris game, you know, or when, uh, when you get Wordle in three or two, my wife loves, Doreen loves Wordle and, uh, It's a great feeling when you're like you've accomplished something, this aha experience is delicious, isn't it? We just want more ahas in our lives, like, oh, I get it, like, (laughs) now it's so obvious, or the patterns of your life become so beautiful, and you begin to see the integration, and And it's like you're pulling back or zooming out and starting to see the bigger picture and the whole context when you study esoteric philosophy. So what is that? Well, let's do it chronologically. And let's start with the shamans. These are the medicine men and medicine women. These are the... uh, Oh, I don't like the term, but witch doctors. You no know, witches around Wicca and Wiccan and even the word wicked shows you the Christian influence of anything that's not ultra-conservative Christianity it must be evil, because there's only two things anything can be, is good or evil, and if it's not all good and true, then it must be completely evil. Wicked, Wiccan, Wicca. These are um, the healers. These are people who used nutrition and herbs and clay and, um, we said herbs, herbs that are consumed, herbs that are sometimes just burned and like saging. I mean, there's so much. It's such a folk medicine, would be another way of talking about shamanism. And wherever we look in the world, if we study the the truly ancient, like long before Christ, before written language even, these societies were not in touch with each other. They didn't have great sailing ships, and they weren't flying around the world meeting each other. And yet they arrived at some of the same understandings. And when you study shamanism, or even some of the contemporary versions of that, which include the use of psychedelics and mind-expanding drugs like uh, ayahuasca, uh, peyote, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, LSD, which is a rye ergot or fungus. Um, all of these are natural occurring chemicals you have receptor sites in your brain. That's how we found a lot of the neurotransmitters was, why is L, why does LSD have a receptor site in your brain just waiting for the molecule to lock on? And uh, we found these neurotransmitters, the dopamine and the endorphins and the serotonins, and this is not my strength, but you know what I'm talking about. So these psychedelic or other world experiences often involve the use of drugs and still do. And what the psychedelic seems to do is open the filter that is the brain. The brain is a filter. It allows our awareness to be focused, to be selective. And I could do a whole class on selective awareness. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but let me just quickly point out how miraculous selective awareness is. You could go into a room that's filled with people, say 150 people in a big room, some sort of event or a mixer, and uh, people are standing around in groups of two, three, four people chatting, so that there might be in a room of 150 people, there might be 40 conversations going on. You could stand in the middle of that room or just off to the side by the doorway and without moving, listen to one conversation to the exclusion of all the others. You have that ability. Think about it. And then simply by forming the intention, you can move your awareness around, somewhat like tuning an old radio. You know, turn the, the, the dial and go up and down the band. You can do the same thing in this room and then shift your consciousness or your awareness to an entirely different conversation. Virtually to the exclusion of all the others. Yeah, sure, there's background noise. The din of all of these conversations happening at once is something you could also be aware of, but we have that ability to tune in to one conversation way over there on the other side of the room just by forming the intention and maybe looking in that direction. But you can even do it with your eyes closed and just Fix on one particular voice and hear that conversation. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. Or uh, listening to music in the same way, whether it's uh, classical music or jazz or rock and roll or pop, most people listen to the lyrics. But uh, if you're a drummer, you probably listen to the drums. You may not even know the lyrics to a whole bunch of really popular tunes that you absolutely love, but you know the drummer, you know the drum part. And uh, the guitar player will probably listen to the guitars and the bass player to the bass. And of course, the songwriter and the singer is going to listen to the lyrics. But again, almost to the exclusion, you can, this is a great meditation. You can do this for yourself. Uh, Put the radio on if you still have one or your MP3 player or whatever. Uh, Get your mix list out and begin to listen to some tunes and listen to one three-minute song focused on just the lyrics. And you'll hear all the other instruments. But then play it a second time and listen just to the bass player. And you'll hear all the other instruments, but you'll hear things that the bass player is doing that you never heard before, even though you know this tune so well. And then you could do the same thing um, with any other instrument. But what I'm talking about is what this says about our amazing ability to be aware of being aware. See, this is meta-awareness. Not a word you hear people use in conversation very often, but it's it's noticing what you notice or to be aware of what you're aware of. Sometimes this is called metacognition, but that's really thinking about thinking. To be aware of your awareness of your ability, for example, in this case, to to be selective in your awareness is to raise your consciousness. That's higher consciousness. It's expanded awareness. I've raised my consciousness or expanded my awareness to the point that I'm aware of being aware. I'm conscious of myself as a conscious sentient being. And that's very different from normal consciousness. Like watching yourself watch, watching yourself live watching yourself react and then realize, my God, I never made a decision to do that. That was pretty reflexive. I was pretty much coming out of my animal nature as evidenced by the defensiveness and the rationalization after the fact. So just a little aside, but that's so central to shamanism and that's where it all began. That's where it begins. And now, looking back, we can see this remarkable consensus about the fact that the world is an appearance in form of an energy. Einstein, I've said this before, put the equal sign between energy and the material world. Energy E equals M, energy equals mass. The material world is made out of spirit or energy, it's invisible magnetic fields, like wherever you are right now, you're surrounded by hundreds of radio stations (laughs) and uh, Uber drivers and taxi cabs. Are there still taxi cabs? I think so. And, uh, you know, um, shortwave radio guys and um, the time signal and Radio Havana and all these radio signals are in the air around you, plus the hundreds of stations right in your own city, but they never get mixed up. They they don't uh, they they don't distort each other. They remain separate because each has its own frequency. If you begin to look at the objects that you think are so solid as energy or spirit, then you're more interested in the frequency than its appearance of being solid. Shamans worked on that level. They also worked with dreams. They knew the dream world was every bit as real as the waking state, that indeed the waking state was a dream. And if you think about it, the three levels of consciousness, sleep, meditation, or contemplation, that in-between state, and wide awake. You dream in all three. You you obviously dream when you're asleep. You can use your imagination and meditation to visualize. That's a dream. So, why would you think that when you open your eyes, what you see is not a dream? Oh, because you can touch it. Oh, yeah, because you can touch it. Because it seems to last because it's more solid. It doesn't dance around like the dream images in your meditation or in in your night sleep. But again, remember what you know from eighth grade science. It's an illusion. It's just energy swirling around. The tiniest particles are not even particles. They're little vortexes, vortices. I think that's the word, vortices. The plural of vortex. These little tiny micro subatomic tornadoes spinning around. And electrons don't spin around the nucleus in 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 a molecule, if we've been told. They they actually flash on and off. You never know when it's going to pop up here and then pop up there. And when it's going to jump from one shell to a higher energy shell or give up energy and collapse into a lower energy show, but they're all flashing on and off. Everything is flashing. You look at a movie, it looks <laughs> it looks like a streaming action, just like real life. But you know the movie is really 24 still images per second. And those still images move so quickly, 24 frames a second, that it creates an illusion of motion until you see the uh, the wagon wheel go backward and you wonder what the hell is that? Join us for our cinematography class and we'll t- <laughs> we'll talk about that. Well, the world is flashing, you know, an incandescent light bulb, AC current alternate 60 times a second. So you turn on a incandescent light bulb, it's flashing off and on and off and on 60 times a second, but you don't see that flashing because of the limitation of our senses. You just see, oh, the light's on. So it is with reality. We see continuity and solidity an unchanging form, even though it's all changing. Everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts. The pyramids, pretty old. Some of these other megalithic, monolithic structures around the world, 10,000 years old, 12,000 years old. The only reason they lasted is they're buried in dirt and sand, exposed to the uh, environment, the weather, the rain, the sun. Even the pyramids will, in time, go away. Everything passes. Nothing lasts. That's how we know it's not true. That's how we know it's not real. What constitutes reality? What conditions do we need to have for reality to be capital R reality, there are three. At its fundamental level, reality must be impermanent. I'm sorry, I must said our appearance of reality is that it's the material world is impermanent because it's made out of energy and it's always in flux. Capital R reality is permanent. That's the first quality, it must be permanent. And the second quality relates to that very directly. It must be unchanging. Reality has to be permanent and unchanging. If it's always in flux and it's always changing and everything's in decay and born and lives and dies, that's an appearance. It's not real. It's got to be again. Who says, right? Who says? This is the consensus of uh, philosophy, esoteric philosophy. The three qualities are, it must then be permanent. Reality would have to be permanent and unchanging. And the third quality, which is really provocative and fun, is it must be self-shining. You Might want to write that down in order for something to be real, in order for it to be true, with a capital T and a capital R, true reality, reality that is true, must have these three qualities, permanence, unchanging, or unmoving, and self-shining. And that's the deity, that's the Godhead, that's what people call God, though they personify it as a a superhero, a human being on a cloud. They say, well, I feel that connection in my heart. Well, of course you feel it in your heart, because you're part of this one thing that is permanent and unchanging and self-shining. It creates of itself, it emanates and radiates without being diminished, and probably the best example is the sun. Now, we know that the physical sun, a star, will eventually run out of fuel and implode supernova, uh, become a black hole or a dwarf star or a red giant. Or, but eventually they, <clears throat> they collapse on themselves. But it's an allegory, it's a metaphor. So the sun's a pretty good allegory. And why would we be surprised to look back in history and see shamanism evolving into sun worship? And this is the first monotheism, the origins of the idea that there's only one God. As opposed, for example, to uh, Hinduism as hundreds of gods. And uh, the Greeks and Romans had their pantheon of gods, all of them representing different qualities. It's not clear how many people in Greece or Rome in the ancient times believed these were literal gods, although there is some research to indicate they may have been. For example, the Roman god Mercury and the Greek god Hermes, are basically the same symbol. You may know the uh, logo of the FTD florist. That uh, That's Mercury with the little wings on his hat and the wings on his feet, and he carries a caduceus, which is like the rod, the scepter, the magic wand, or the wizard's staff. The caduceus is a bar, it represents the spine. It also represents the connection to your oversoul from the Shishumna. The Shishumna is that connection from the crown to your oversoul. That's what the magic wand and the wizard staff, the scepter, and kings had scepters. That's what that represents the power of that alignment, really. So, The original sun worshipers, there's many around the world, and again, all life seems to come from the sun. It's just a pretty good indication that there's only one God. My point in bringing up Hermes and Mercury is that legend tells us there was a real person, maybe a series of teachers or sages, but at least one person in Egypt thousands, tens of thousands of years ago named Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. In the Bible, he's referred to as Toth, T-H-O-T-H. It's hard to say, Thoth, (laughs) Toth. And Toth, or Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus, wrote the Emerald Tablet. You say, tablets? Wait a minute, I thought that was Moses. Stone tablets, burning bush, all of that. Yeah, well, ten thousand years before that there was the emerald tablet. And the Romans wrote about it. They had they saw it. It was in the library at Alexandria for a thousand years, and of course the Romans burned that down on two different occasions. They just torched the library at Alexandria about two thousand years ago, about the time of Christ. We're not going to have any of this pagan stuff, right? Because we know Jupiter and Zeus are the real CEOs on Mount Olympus, right? Well, the Emerald Tablet is part of a whole belief system, this early religion that is ancient Egyptian Hermeticism. Remember, Johnny Carson used to do that bit about uh, the answers have been concealed in this, uh, kept safe in this hermetically sealed jar, right? Hermetically sealed, what is that? Hermetic, that's a reference to ancient Egyptian philosophy or religion. The pharaohs said they were the gods, but they knew there was a life force or an energy some suggest the pyramids even are energy generators or energy attractors or somehow align with this great spirit, this energy. And alchemy is much more than turning lead to gold. That even was an allegory for turning a leaden to consciousness, those who suffer from the illusion that physical, dense, material world is only what it appears to be, that there's not an energy behind it that is permanent and unmoving and self-shining. So, it's an allegory. To me, to Gold was uplifting consciousness to an awareness That beyond the veil, there's an energy or a spirit or a breath from on high that illumines and animates us. And how do we do that? How do we lift that up? Well, they said by fire. Fire purifies. Purgation, it's called in alchemy. The adversity of life burns off the impurities, and what's left is the gold, and you're a better person. This of course leads to the Jewish Bible because Moses was raised by these guys. Moses was, you know, as a baby found in the reed bed in the basket floating down the river and taken into the the homes of uh, ruling class Egyptians, the Pharaohs and such. And he knew all this alchemy stuff and he knew about the Emerald Tablet. So we shouldn't be surprised that uh, he, you know, escaped the slavery that the Egyptians were holding the Jews in slavery, building the pyramids or whatever, just bringing them dinner. Moses knew all about the power of tablets and God gave me the, I'm not discounting the reality of it. I don't know if it's real or not. That's the thing about mythology. Whether it's real or not doesn't really matter. It's the allegory that we care about. What What does it represent? What is this law? on the emerald tablet? What is this law on the stone tablets of Moses? And of course, out of that comes Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ is a title, please remember. It's not his last name. Christos is that name for this life force or this energy or this spirit that we keep talking about as a Lumen Illuminating and, and animating these meat bodies that we have. That's the Christos. It's the love in your heart that connects you to all things. So it's a title. Jesus the Christ or Christ Jesus. It's a title. It's like a Mahatma or a Maharaj or Sri. So Christianity comes out of this as a form of Judaism, and about 500 years later, the uh, Quran is revealed to Muhammad, and we get Islam out of that. But they're all Abrahamic religions, these three. They're monotheist. They see God as singular and unified but separate and living outside its creation, petitionable through prayer. Meanwhile, in the East, we have in prehistoric times the Vedas, which are more cultural than religious, but they're ancient books of gods that walked the earth, much like the Greek and Romans, uh, their pantheon of gods. And uh, were they real? Well, supposedly Krishna was a real guy. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Just like Hermes, was he a real guy? Or Lao Tzu, for that matter, in China, the author of the Tao Te Ching, was he one guy named Lao Tzu? Because Lao Tzu translates the sage, so he may be. He may have been uh, Lao Tzu and Hermes and Krishna. These guys may have been part of a whole lineage of individuals. We're not sure. It's that's how old it is. So in China, we have the about 500 BC, Lao Tzu, that's about the same time as Socrates and and Plato and Aristotle, by the way, about 500 years before Christ. And so Lao Tzu in China does pretty much the same thing in assembling all of this folk wisdom, and then Confucius sort of built on that shortly later, not not much after Lao Tzu. In fact, some people say uh, that uh, Lao Tzu may have met Confucius. Who knows? And uh, I'm going to have to skate over Pythagoras and the Alexandria schools, the original mystery schools, just uh, given our time here. I'm going to go a few more minutes, and then we'll go to your questions and your comments, so you may want to add those to the chat box. So out of the Vedas, this cultural philosophy of Hindustan, which is what India was called in those days, Hindustan, comes Hinduism, which like Christianity, you have Catholics and then a thousand and one different Protestants and Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists. And that's what Hinduism is. It's like, Thousands of variations on a theme and all these different gods and goddesses. And then again, about 500 BC. I mean, look at all these guys are living at the same time. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, Lao Tzu, Confucius, and Buddha. All pretty much within a 200-year period, uh, about five centuries before Christ. So Buddhism spins out of Hinduism, as Taoism spins out of um, Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, and Confucianism. Taoism is very much like Buddhism. The principles are very similar. Buddhism and Taoism is not mysticism. In fact, they don't even refer to God. Buddhism, most notably. There's no reference to God at all. There's a Buddha nature. There are supposedly millions of fully realized, enlightened Buddhas in the universe, but they've long transcended their need for a body. And that's about as close as you get to a religion. Buddhism is practiced by many as a religion. But most shrines in the East have everything. They, they'll they'll put in some Buddhist statues and some statues of Krishna and uh, all manner of religious icon in the same stupa, in the same temple, in the same shrine. Sort of pray to whoever you want. Just, here you go, here's a place on the road where you can rest and pray and contemplate. Something remarkable happened in the Renaissance then in Europe, 14th, 15th century, the Renaissance, the rebirth, the paintings, the sculptures, the literature, the age of reason, the age of enlightenment, science, Newton, Bacon, these great thinkers and essay writers, just this explosion coming out of the European dark ages. And part of that was a rediscovery of Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, the tree of life, and the Zohar. And tarot cards came out of that discovery in the Renaissance era in Europe as a correlation or representation of this tree of life. Of course, Islam has its mystical traditions as well, which is Sufism. And maybe you've seen the whirling dervishes spinning and this beautiful, elegant dance that they do to create an altered state. And if you look carefully, the beginning of the dance, the finger is pointing up and the palm is open and receptive. And as the dance continues, the dervish turns his hand downward as if bringing the spirit down to an embodiment of our divine nature as they spin and spin, and you remember as kids how fun it is to spin, but we usually get dizzy and fall down. The Sufi learns (laughs) how to transmute that or transform that into higher consciousness. And so we have Jewish mysticism and Islam mysticism, the Sufis, and what about Christian mysticism? Well, those are the Rosicrucians. And this is a group of enlightened scholars. Um, this is really my wife's purview. She's really much more knowledgeable than me about this stuff. But Francis Bacon and uh, a group of, like Sir Walter Raleigh and and others in this period are really largely responsible. Many people believe Bacon wrote the original Rosicrucian documents, The The fama, the confessio, and the chemical wedding nailed them to the church doors, uh, as Martin Luther later did when he and his group of Protestants, or Protestants as they're called, broke away from the Catholic Church, which put all of this Christianity together 300 years after Christ. The mystical tradition of Christianity, Rosicrucianism, has always been veiled because of the Inquisitors. And they were killed and tortured and and excommunicated. And remember, the church is the government, so you don't mess with it. With it. a lot of the disruption you see in society today, is an effort by very ultra conservative Christians to replace democracy with a theocracy. And we see a lot of that in the Middle East. That's what the jihad is all about, with the super conservative. Muslims who again think they are Sufi mystics though they read the same Quran are blasphemers and should be killed so there's sort of some of that contempt between far-right or religious conservatives whatever their religion and and those mystics who say let me let me create my own relationship through love love is the connection. And I'll use that. I will surf that love to a better understanding of the divine. And I'll read your books. I'll read your scriptures. I'll read your gospels. I'll learn from them. I'll study the words of your prophets. But I'll make up my own mind. Thank you. You know, I can do without the fellowship. I'd rather be alone in meditation, frankly. Oh, there's so much to be said here. But Rosicrucians today... It's pretty much a loosely knit, hardly even connected. There really is no leadership, but it appears as Freemasonry. Just don't expect Masons to know much more than the ritual and the ceremony. Some of them are esoterically involved and know the meaning, but most Masons don't. It's just a social club and there's no conspiracy and they're not the Illuminati. Uh, it's just a bunch of good guys that <laughs> get together and they believe that the universe ultimately is one thing. So they have an eyeball up at the top of the ceiling and this country was founded by Masons. So you see the eyeball over the pyramid on the back of your dollar bill. That's the all-seeing eye. That's God. And the G you see in Masonic literature stands for God, but also for geometry. And they trace their lineage all the way back to their the Hermeticists to the, to the uh, Temple of Solomon. And this is all so rich and wonderful. You see how exciting this is? And, and again, what's the thread? What unites all of this stuff? And uh, I, th- I think I've pretty much touched on it here, uh, from the shamans to the sun worshipers to the Egyptian Hermeticists the Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the Vedas, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Shintoism, Jainism, the Sikhs. we haven't even gotten to the Sikhs yet, Uh, but they're all different flavors. It's like the Baskin Robbins of philosophy. There's so much here. Why would you pick one and not study the others? Why would you not want to embrace all religious traditions and the overarching philosophy behind the belief system and the ritual and the ceremony that's acted out? Because most people just don't have the time. They're not inclined to immerse themselves in... Most religious people don't even read their own religious books. I mean, that's one of the main reasons the Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church was no Bible reading. Catholics didn't want you reading the Bible and coming to your own understanding of what it means. So uh, I was raised Catholic. the Mass was in Latin. Couldn't even understand. I took two years of Latin in high school, hoping I could figure out what they were saying. Didn't didn't do me any good at all. But they never read from the Bible. The books we had in church were called Missiles, and they were written by the church. And nailed veiled references at times to what Christ may have said, but these were not Bible studies, not the Catholic church. Now that's changing, it's rapidly changing, because the church is... Catholic, Protestant, and others are emptying. And we're now at a point where about 40% of Americans, I haven't seen the stats elsewhere, but in America, about 40% of American adults now describe themselves as you probably do, spiritual but not religious. I feel the connection. I feel the longing in my heart. I really would like to love my neighbor, especially if he would get rid of that arsenal of weapons that he has and more importantly all the fear that drives it and replace that fear with love and harmony and peace and wisdom so that's an overview that's a big picture of esoteric philosophy and trumpet fanfare drum roll perennialism this is what perennial philosophy refers to. It's also called Prisca Theologia. That's the Latin for the prime or the first theology, the first religion. Prisca Theologia, generally referred to as perennial philosophy or perennialism. Great book by Aldous Huxley called The Perennial Philosophy. You can read that book in a few days if you want. And here we call it the ancient wisdom or the ageless wisdom. So, what I've been doing with podcasts and radio and now with this Zoom class is all of this, embracing all of it. Pick and choose, embrace, love it all. You don't have to choose between vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. You can have all three. You know what I'm saying? Why would you choose one? and be completely ignorant of the others. And who is the loudest and the angriest when they object to the fact that you don't conform perfectly to their view of religion?